0: Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting and my very special guest today is Paul Lapis from Intermix. Welcome, Paul.
1: Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here.
0: So, Paul is a CEO we've worked with, God, you guys have been a client for two or three years now, right? Yeah. I think
1: over two years. Yeah.
0: And his partner is named Lars. He's a great guy as well. It's been awesome working with you guys. And finally, we're like, we got to have you on the podcast. You made it happen so thank you for coming over on a sun on a, on a sunny friday
1: well you know we're only a few blocks away here so it was literally closer than going to get lunch today oh
0: nice and we have Lacroix and coffee for you it's a, it's a double doozy
1: two of my favorite things
0: <laughs> uh well, hey, so paul tell us about intermix and kind of retrace your career and how did you come up with the idea for intermix oh
1: yeah well so i've been in the valley since for almost 20 years now. That makes me sound really you old. You look way too young to I know. be saying that. Uh, well, thank you for that. Yes. And uh, my career has spanned, um, you know, earlier in my career I, was, I had co-founded a, one of the first cloud computing companies. And so I started, started with infrastructure, um, technology, and then at some point I realized, wow, I really hate wrangling servers and uh, being on call. And so, um, like
0: the midnight wake up, because yeah,
1: something's down. I spent the majority of the first ten years of my career, you know, answering support requests and logging into server terminals while I was drunk. <laughs> because on Friday night, you still have to go yeah. out. Right? You're not a doctor.
0: You're not operating <laughs> on people. It's a computer.
1: You're working. It's people's websites are yeah, down. Yeah. You know, okay, it's okay. Um, and then uh, in 2012, 13, landed at a company that was doing mobile. Mobile crash reporting, and they were uh, their name was really interesting. The name was Critterism, which oh I, I've
0: heard of them. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we you know we found the critters in your mobile apps, and so when I had joined, they were already had signed up a ton of the large mobile brands like ESPN, NBC, like just they had a ton of users Yahoo, and they were trying to get revenue, and so basically we joined. That's where I met Lars. He joined as the head of BD, I was the head of engineering, and, you know, we started selling the service. It was a crash reporting solution for companies so that they could find bugs in their apps. And we were sitting on a, a whole bunch of data. Like For example, we, so we had a library, little piece of software installed on over one billion devices all around the world. And so we were receiving- That's a billion with a B. Yeah. Yeah. Across Android. At the time, Microsoft still had a mobile OS obviously Apple and our platform was receiving like 60,000 events per second from all these apps like metrics and telemetry and so you know we were selling the service and trying to grow that business and then one day Lars approaches me like hey I've got some some folks who would be interested in buying this data I was like okay I'm not really sure who this guy Lars is but he seems like a nice guy he's like I'm like I'm like who he's like he named this you know fortune 100 company I was like He's like, "Do you think you could put it somewhere whereby we could, you know, we could give it to them and they could access it in their environment?" I was like, "Okay, sure." And so, and um, when they want to see like usage and geography well, and like, exactly. So, for example, we had data that could inform you of something like the following. Like, we could tell you how many activations occurred in January on AT&T's network on this specific Samsung device in wow, LA, wow, right? And exactly. so we sort of had, you know, all that information across all these mobile apps and every single device that was out in the world. And so I was like, sure. And so what I ended up doing is I hired a data scientist and it would be this person's job to go and get this data ready. And so, you know, look for a data scientist and these people are kind of expensive, you know, it's not really a cheap role to hire for. I've heard that. Yeah. First day on the job, the guy was like, great, where's the data? I was like, well, it's it's, you know, it's in the servers. It's right here. Yeah. I was like, well, I can't really use it because um, I kind of need it to be in one place so that I can sort of see all of it, have access to all of it over all time in a way that's clean and correct and complete and be able to use my tool of choice because data scientists have special They're like
0: a, a painter that needs yeah, the right pigments and the, the, the delicate genius right, yeah, right. Yeah.
1: needed to use his own tools and you know, he needed that before he could do any work. And so then I was faced with the choice of like, okay, what do I do? Do I basically um, let this guy go and then go fix that problem? Or I said, no, because it was hard to find him. So basically he was sitting idle for like three months. I was paying him a salary, but he wasn't really wow. doing that much. So I had to go off and sort of build another team that would actually get the data to a place where it was useful. And this so we did that- becoming a
0: more and more expensive project here.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was not what I signed up for. Um, we ended up hacking something together. We actually made that deal. Uh, we actually charged millions of dollars for that data, and and someone paid for it. A few companies paid for it, and but in, in doing that, I uh, started chatting with a bunch of other peers in the industry and figuring out how they solve problems like this. And uh, it was like the wild wild west. Everybody had the same story. Um, there were a few different, you know, a lot of different ways that that, that their problem was being solved, and everybody was struggling. And so when I ended up leaving that company, Lars left a little bit after I did. We said, oh, man, we don't really want to go back to work for someone else. Um, why don't we go and sort of see if we can solve some problems in this area? Um, and so we did. And that's how we started Intermix.
0: And, and give the Intermix like pitch, like what do you guys oh, do?
1: okay. We actually honed this a few months ago after we were just raised our latest round of funding. So Intermix...
0: Did you, ra- you hone it before or after you raised the money?
1: <laughs> after. <laughs> Um, afterwards. So Intermix is a single dashboard that helps data engineers keep an eye on their mission-critical data flows. And so when companies want to be data-driven, so look, it's no surprise you ask anyone, any company, any owner or any leader of a company, is your company data-driven? The answer is yes. Any earnings call, data, artificial intelligence is constantly being sort of referenced. And uh, the fact is that data is now more important than software. You know, yeah, because it's kind of
0: like what you get out of the software is the way. My, I'm not a developer, but like that's how I think about it. Like the finished product, you know, or the signals. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. You know, if 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 you're making complex decisions, kind of based on on how your customers have interacted with your product or how your you know basically anything that that you know you want to help add value to your product or to your business, you know, kind of traditionally you'll hire a software engineer to, you know code a bunch of if-then statements into your application for you and say, if this happens, then that happens. But that's not really the best way to make decisions at a large, large scale. You know, it's kind of like you have a nine-month-old daughter, right? Yeah. And she's going to learn to walk at some point. I don't know if she's walking yet. She's
0: very close. It's a little scary.
1: And she's probably knocked her head a few times or she's fallen down. data-driven
0: decision not to knock her head.
1: (laughs) And she's realized, I should not do that. I should stop knocking my head. Yeah and um you know she sort of learned that that was what she what she should be doing because it really hurt when she hit her head and so at some level in her brain now it's been programmed in like some software has been written essentially that basically says if i do this it's going to hurt and so that's what sort of machine learning helps you do is it helps you use all those little experiences about how your users interact with your product all these little data points all add up so that you can ultimately make a better decision about uh, you know the future and you can never program that the if then statement list would just you know the recipe yeah, would just be too much. long yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah so you can think about it in the way that data is writing software now um, data is writing
0: software through machine because machine learning writes its own rules. based on data yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's yeah. actually a really cool way yeah. of saying that I never, yeah. I've never, never heard anyone say that before
1: Yeah, I, actually that was the first I need I to like saying. process that for a
0: second so once you get the good clean data the machine learning can really work its magic and write software that takes advantage of that that makes perfect
1: sense if the examples are are true, if the format of all of them is, is the same, and these algorithms can actually run on it, yeah. then you will just, every single time a new example comes in, your, your brain, your model will be trained one, you know, one tiny more incremental step. Yeah. So it'll get that much better in, in sort of predicting the future. But it all depends on data, and that becomes the core IP now for a company. Right? The company, the data that a company has um, is sort of proprietary. So any model that it builds on that data, it now owns. Yeah. And um, by the way, we at
0: Cruise Consulting are doing this too. Like we have an amazing CTO, Brett Ballard, who's like writing. Like we're pulling a ton of data now and helping our, uh, us make like decisions on we to talk to our clients about certain services, things like that. Like that, this is like so even like a accounting firm that that you guys probably don't even know we do this yet. But we're pretty progressive. But we're doing it. You know, like everyone kind of needs to think this way. Yeah. And I just interrupted you. And if you don't,
1: and if you don't, then uh, then a competitor is going to come in and do it. Yeah. And they're going to ultimately yeah. build a better product for yeah. their customers, and, and then you'll be out of business. Yeah. So, that that exact story is playing out all over the world right now. Every single company, be it a tech company, new tech company, or an old school company, um, has sort of realized that that's true. Yeah. So the reason why that's happening now is because of the cloud, right? The cloud makes it accessible. Anybody can store all the data forever. I was gonna say, yeah, it's storage, cheap. right? Yeah, yeah it's yeah. cheap, right? And, and you can
0: process it, not just store it, but process it,
1: right? Yeah, you can process it cheaply on a just-in-time basis. You don't need to put up a bunch of money to process it upfront, right? You can just do it as you go. Number two, and you know, a lot of people don't know this, but machine learning algorithms, there's only like really seven types. There's not that many different oh, types of algorithms. yeah, yeah. Um, And they have to be crafted and tuned and all that. But the core math that drives them is about 70 years old. 70? Yeah. And now it's been codified into these open source libraries. Have you heard of, of something like uh, TensorFlow?
0: I have heard of TensorFlow, yeah.
1: That is basically like the codification of some of these really old algorithms. And now it's open source. Anybody can use it. You can use it. I can use it. But it's useless without data. Yeah. The, but the, the, like
0: My reference for a lot of stuff is a documentary I saw on the, the one that Google acquired, the British company that did the chess. Or the, was it chess? I think it was chess. The
1: Go. I mean, B-
0: recently, the D- yeah. Go. AlphaGo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whoever did that. And so I was watching Google. those guys. Yeah. Um, but that, I didn't know these were, like, really old algorithms. So what happened is the processing speed just got so much faster and the data sets are bigger. So that allowed you to basically make these old algorithms work? Is that kind of like...
1: Well, what happened is these uh, data scientists at, at the large tech companies like Google and Facebook went off and codified those algorithms mm. in modern programming languages okay. and made them available to be executed on cloud computing clusters. And so, and then they just open source them. Yeah. That's really nice of them. Yeah. (laughs) In fact, the history of technology is littered with large companies, open sourcing software that then um, gets leveraged. Because ultimately, that's not their business model. Yeah. You know, as an aside, but related, the algorithm that Google uses for PageRank was actually invented in the late 1800s. My mind's blown. Larry And Larry and Sergey, yeah, like they, they actually... We were reading a research paper on the PageRank algorithm and said, oh, we could use this to classify and rank yeah. the importance of PageRank. What web was lakes.
0: it? Real fast, this is a good digression. What was it being used for in the 1800s? I think, it,
1: I don't like I library think it catalogs? was just some guy. No, I don't think he was used at all. I think it was just some it was theoretical. Dude's, it was some dude's like PhD dissertation or something. Wow.
0: My friend's dad was their computer science Professor in Maryland, or one of the guys in Maryland, and he called his son up. My, who's my buddy? We worked together. It's like you might want to join these. He would have been the first business employee at Google. And like my, my buddy was like, Nah, whatever. I'm doing investment <laughs> banking. A stupid name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyways, <laughs> anyways, okay. So so anyway, so, so everyone's uh, codifying the old algorithms, but they work better because it's in the cloud now, and
1: you can. And, and opt- it's not secret sauce anymore, right? Yeah. So any company has access to the yeah. same algorithms. And so what's happening is companies are building these data teams. They're saying, yep, I want to be data driven. Yep, I got to build AI for the same reason that you mentioned, for competitive advantage, bottom line, top line optimization, build new products, win in the market. So they're forming data teams. And oftentimes these data teams report right to the C-suite and they have new budgets now, right? It's like not part of IT, it's sort of, and sort of new roles like data scientist, data engineer, it's kind of a new role. Sounds like someone should
0: you know. be selling them a really awesome tool to manipulate that data. Well, if,
1: if only anybody could solve their problems, <laughs> they would make a lot of money. The new budget um, thing
0: catches my eye, actually, because that is how you... As building a startup, selling into that new budget is really nice. That's a good place to be. Yeah. Because you know, people have money. They'll try new things. They have, a, they have to show results to their bosses to justify that
1: budget, so they're willing to experiment. Yeah. You're exactly right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as we, have, as we have grown our business, we've, you know, we started our business focusing on, and if you go to our website, you'll see some of the companies that we work with, but you know, middle, sort of medium tier, late stage VC funded tech companies yeah. and smaller companies where our customers.
0: In my world though, like I see, I don't know who, if you can disclose your base, but like I see the names in your... Um in uh, when you issue POs to them or, or whatever uh, invoices to them, you have like the who's who of like late stage or p- newly public companies that yeah. you're working with. Like yeah. it's very obvious. Like I look at your and I'm like, oh, that's these guys are super progressive because they're growing so fast and they probably have problems and they're intermixed solving these problems. Like it's yep. a pretty badass customer list.
1: Thank you. yeah, yeah, well, yeah. We love working with them, and yeah, they gave us permission to. Uh, put their logo on the website, but I don't think I can really say that. But let's just say there's one really large real estate company that is selling real estate that is carving up real estate and selling it for co-working spaces. That's our client. (laughs) And you know, they're really a data company. People think of them as a real estate company, but they have sensors all over their buildings. And all that data, how people move around the office. That's fascinating. How many times you go to the bathroom what hallways are the most populated all that all that information becomes this sort of body of analytics that you yeah. leverage to yeah. figure out how to better design the buildings and all these things like that so um yeah they just um, use
0: the space more efficiently right we we actually yeah. use them in san jose and i we'll, bet i think we're going to end up using them again in a couple other places it's a great the value prop is actually really good probably because they're just using the resources more efficiently it's kind of that simple
1: i think so and you know you have your own office yeah There's you're your sitting nice in our offices. own office where we it's have it's hard a to own, run an office
0: it's hard, it's expensive. We have like 30 people in this office. And candidly, I wish I would have used that company. I wish we hadn't had this big office, you know. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the, probably what people used to say, like, you, it's a, it's a total digression from what your real business is. That's right. You know? I wish I didn't have to deal with it. But I, and I'm, me and Tatiana, the ones have to deal with it you know no one else right it's crazy but anyways yeah so so but that's a good example of like a company in the real world who's probably in a sleepy industry that no one thinks about using data and your product to be more efficient
1: and then we're also seeing um, recently we've started um, getting some enterprise clients too and we're seeing some really so in the enterprise the store is a little bit different because you know really big old companies the way that they innovate is they sort of they build new teams and they firewall them off of the old teams. Because old folks, you know, you can't really teach an old dog new tricks usually. And so that's what we see a lot. You know, we have uh, a client in, out of a huge supply chain, um, 18 billion dollar company in Hong Kong that owns 14,000 uh, clothing manufacturing facilities. Wow. And they use their data infrastructure to predict fashion trends. Wow. So they, they will, they've written, they've written all these crawlers they follow uh, apparently if you follow about 100 different influencers on Instagram you know all you need to know about fashion Yeah. so they crawl that they crawl Google searches and they do image recognition on what people are wearing in these Instagram photos yep. and they classify them using you know you know this sleeve is new or like this person's wearing a white handkerchief in their shirt wow and they, they put tell. all that into a, into a machine learning model to try to predict like what's going to be hot next, so that they can now their ultimate goal is to optimize their supply chain so that they can pre-purchase the right textiles for yeah. all these fourteen thousand. that's always been the hard
0: part in fashion is like getting the, what people want to market fast enough yeah yeah. that's interesting I have a, one of our former cruise client in a company I invested in uh, I've been friends with them for a long time Nadine West does something like that where they use technology to predict fashion trends and they're on fire you know and yeah. it's like I don't think they're doing it in the same exact way but like it actually
1: makes tons of sense that's crazy
0: but yeah. 14,000 facilities that's a lot of data
1: it's a lot of data and um, it's a really all company you know and so they're using us too and so um yeah, it's super, it's super, you know, the thing that I love the most is just hearing all, all the all the stories about what people are doing with data, because um, I think you talk to five different companies. Like, the core team is, like, is doing the same thing. They're just, like, sort of crunching data. Yeah. But what they're doing with it is all It's. And how, does, how
0: does Intermix make it easier for them? Like, what's the pain point you guys solve?
1: Yeah, so companies hire data scientists, and those data scientists are really good at running algorithms on data. But, you know, like we said, you got to have the data for them to do it. And it turns out that getting data to a place where it's useful is really, really hard. And that job falls to uh, a role... If In new companies, it's called a data engineer. and older enterprises, they're still called DBAs. But that data engineer, they're really sort of like the janitor of the data world. Yeah, And what they do <laughs> is... That, it's really an unsexy job, yeah. but it's incredibly difficult because consider how the, the data that we're talking about is basically data that is either generated by your application, like how your users interact with your mobile app or your website. It's also information that is contained in your like, customer relationship system. It's industry information, like in this example, like you know, what is the cost of this textile today? And this data, it resides outside of your cloud. You know, some in, some outside, but it's all in different formats, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's all over the world. And so somebody has to bring it all in, move it to the exact same format, ah, that's aggregate it, yeah. pro- and like you know, crunch it, clean it, and then move it to a data warehouse or to a or to a set of databases that are compatible with the algorithms and the tools that the data scientists are using. yeah, yeah, yeah. And be able to sort of um, you know, document it in a way where it makes sense what it is. Yeah,
0: it's like the Tower of Babel problem. You guys are taking all this disparate data, making it the same format, then putting it together, and then making it accessible.
1: And exactly right. And when you add, add to that, that the volumes are constantly growing and Fresh data is much more interesting than old data, yeah. so they expect it to be updated once a day, four times a day. What they end up doing is building, um, you know, we it's exactly the same as building a car. We call it a data assembly line, where there's just dozens or sometimes hundreds of little steps that the data goes through before it gets to its final destination. Yeah. And if it gets stuck anywhere along that route, then the data is not fresh. The data is not complete and the is not available to the data scientist. And that's what we help to eliminate. Yeah. And it's those like are expensive it,
0: people, their opportunity cost is pretty high. So you right. wanna have it have as fast as possible to them, right?
1: Yeah, efficiency is a big problem, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. when uh, things do get stuck, um, they really don't know what the reason is or yeah. where it got stuck or how to fix it. So yeah. we help them with that too.
0: Are there, I, know, I think you guys have a big affiliation with Amazon, right? Like what are some of the platforms you guys work with or use? To
1: make this possible, yeah. so Amazon Redshift is a big one. Yeah. Um, Amazon Redshift is the uh, the, the data warehouse uh, offering for Amazon Web Services. I think now it's it's generating over a billion dollars in revenue. Wow, to Amazon, it was the fastest growing service in Amazon's cloud. Uh, we're branching out next year to Snowflake and other oh, data warehouses. Amazing. I see a lot yeah. of
0: startups using Snowflake. Yeah.
1: yeah. And we're gonna to continue to do that. That's, that's kind of what our plan is for next year, is to uh, continue to expand out. Cause look, the whole market's growing, but we have to go where our customers yeah. are taking us. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah so what does Snowflake do that's different than Amazon? You just
1: Yeah, good question. So Snowflake does something pretty interesting. They do two things that are interesting. Number one is they, um, they uh, separate storage and compute. Um, which basically means you know with Amazon redshift, when you 're a customer of it, you and you have more data that you want to add to it, you need to you need to scale it up and then you pay more as you scale uh-huh. it up and so when you do that, you basically have to purchase these blocks of uh, of computers that that sort of combine processing and storage together so sometimes you don 't really need you know more processing power, sometimes you just need more compute power, but they force you to buy it. Uh, all, all at the same time. It's like a linear... The benefits of that is that you're, you're, like, you know, your monthly bill is pretty static because yeah. you're just buying these blocks. Yeah. Snowflake took a different route where they said, we're not going to make you buy these blocks, but we're going to charge you for every single query that you run.
0: <laughs> and so the more you use it, the more you'll pay.
1: Yeah, yeah. So they have other issues there where yeah. you know, I've heard stories where you know, people run a really big query on a Friday and they come back and then it's like they have like a $1,000 bill or something. Ugh. Because that query ran for like twelve hours. <laughs> <laughs> and where
0: does Intermix fit in with like Redshift? Like, how do you guys complement Redshift?
1: Well, you know, Redshift is the is the core of the of the data team. I mean, that's where all the jewels are. That's mm-hmm. where that's where all the applications connect to. And there's three kinds of applications. There's applications that get data out of Amazon Redshift to do reporting or to run machine learning algorithms or for or for applications. But then you got to get data into these things too because when you launch Snowflake or Redshift it's empty. So you got to get data into it somehow. And that's I never another about that. Yeah, and that and that sort of it turns out to be another type of application that's running jobs on the system. And then you have a third type of application that is like, you know, crunching data. Yeah. So you've got these like any single Amazon Redshift warehouse that we work with has over 10 different applications that are sort of connected to it and thousands of humans that are sort of, in one way or another depending on data that resides inside of it. And so what our tool does is it gives you a way to automatically discover all of that complexity. So we will tell you, look, these are the 10 apps that are being used. These are all the people that are running jobs. And by the way, here's how they're ranked. Here are the most expensive ones. Do you let them
0: prioritize or, or give clearance or?
1: Not, no, because we sit off to the side. We're not in, in line of the data. Ah, got it, okay. On purpose. Like, we yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a whole different. Yeah. That would be like a
0: failure point or something. Yeah,
1: like exactly, that. and yeah, we don't yeah. want to do that. Yeah. But we will tell you a few things. We'll say, here are the applications that are, um, that are having issues with performance. Here's, here are some users or some applications that are really expensive and resource-wasting hogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And by the way, if there's a problem, A, there's a problem, and B, this is the root cause of that problem.
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, we give you all that visibility that before you were, you know, like you were really, really flying blind. Um, And, you know, with Snowflake, we'll also help you figure out cost attribution. So, I mean, companies are spending like millions of dollars a year on these these databases. And so you kind of want to know what percentage of that bill can I attribute to different departments in my For company? Sure.
0: And it was an ROI positive project or something like that. Yeah. Exactly. It was someone's pet project, yeah.
1: For the record, it turns out that sales and marketing usually are the biggest uh, really? lasers. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. You know, because they want to see metrics up to yeah. date and all that. Yeah.
0: So do people like, they must love you because the flying blind thing, you do hear a lot of stories about people having like a massive Amazon bill or yeah. I didn't know about Snowflake having huge bills like that but definitely yeah. see it with Amazon Yeah. Are do they see you as like a cost containment thing or are they are you a a performance enhancer or how do you how do you position yourself
1: the the smaller ones definitely see us as like a tax on amazon redshift Uh, because if if you're a cost-conscious company um then you know you really want to you know they kind of see us that way yeah Uh, well i
0: would think they would the cost-conscious ones would love you though because you're telling them if they're wasting money or not
1: true and oftentimes they will spend less on Amazon Redshift after they use us. Yeah, so we'll yeah. pay for ourselves. Yeah, so, yeah. exactly. Um, the bigger enterprises don't see us that way at all. They see us as a way to um, as a way to make the team more efficient. So we can make their if we can make their team ten percent more yeah. efficient then they're
0: spending two million dollars on data scientists, that's two hundred thousand dollars in savings.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And more and more as data becomes more mission critical then there's also a calculation on what does it cost the business if that data is down, yeah. or if the data is not available. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah.
0: So this is all you, you. This is all for the pain point you had at Criticism, where you're trying to aggregate all this stuff and clean it up, and and now you just you just built it. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's been a you know it's been a long journey, Scott. We uh, we started giving software away for free actually. Oh, I didn't when we first know. That. started, yeah. You guys had
0: revenue really quickly when you came to us. Which is always a good sign, actually, like, yeah. for, for people who are curious of, like, because we we have 170 monthly clients, so we see, like, different, we see the ones that do well and the ones that don't, and usually, like, early revenue is, like, one of the best indicators you could ever have. Even if it's, like, $10,000 or $50,000, yeah. it it shows that there's a pain point and someone's willing to pay for it. It's a, it's a really
1: big deal. We made a choice to do that early on. I think there's two schools of thought on that, especially with hard tech companies, like, like us, is let's lock ourselves in a room for two years, take a bunch of VC money, and then, and then like we'll, you know, have a big launch, and then hope that somebody uses it. I'm not a big fan of that model. <laughs> That's a bad model as no. an investor. Yeah. No, I, I came up through um, through product, you know, through product as well, and I you know I don't like to write a one line of code unless I know that on the other end of that I'm solving a problem.
0: RCG, I was like, he always, it's good. He always forces me to tell him how much money we're going to save or make in revenue for anything he's doing.
1: Oh, he's a keeper. Yeah, he's good.
0: Yeah. 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 Because I would just be like, oh, build it. That sounds awesome. (laughs) Let's do it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, the problem with software too is once you build it and even if there's a feature that you build and and release and it's not being used, you end up still having to support it. Support it, it, yeah. It's still this thing that's there and yeah, it's just uh, demoralizing for the team as well. Yeah.
0: so this has been fascinating how where are you guys going like what's your your next it sounds like Snowflake is the big one
1: yeah yeah we're gonna support Snowflake and when's that gonna come year? out or is it that's, too early to tell that's gonna come out at the end of Q1 next year okay. yeah mm-hmm. yeah we have a number of uh, early customers that have committed to working with us on awesome. it as, as yeah. alpha users and that's I'm sure what Snowflake's
0: really excited to. about that too right
1: you know they are we actually have talked to their leadership and they totally get what we do and they said look we're not going to build any of this stuff, and we'll support you in, in getting the word out to our customers once it's ready. Yeah. So yeah, we're excited about that. Um, so that's next year, but you know our, um, you know our goal is to uh, is to continue to grow and keep our customers happy, and I think if we focus on that, we'll be okay. Day to day. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Living the dream. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs>
0: um, well, maybe tell everyone, reiterate Intermix, and where can they find you?
1: Sure thing. Thank you. Yeah. We are um, intermix, www.intermix.io, and we are a single dashboard for data engineers to keep, to keep an eye on their mission-critical data flows. So if you're using Amazon Redshift or Snowflake, you have a large team and you're using data for uh, business-critical purposes, reach out to us. We have a free trial, and you can sign up on our website without talking to anyone to get started really, really easily. Yeah
0: and I can vouch that you guys are doing it. It's exciting to see your revenue ramp and the kind of customers you have. So it's, 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 it's the dogs are the dog food. It's pretty exciting.
1: And we've loved working with you too, Scott. ah, Thanks, man. Thank Thank you. You. All right, Paul, thanks for coming by, appreciate it. Thanks.